Welcome to In Conversation with Kathleen. I'm Kathleen Kettles. I'm a psychotherapist and I love people and their stories. In each episode, I'll be speaking with a guest about what the word success means to them. And at the end of each interview, I'll be discussing the episode with co-creator and editor, Remy. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast. I think we should start by saying that we knew each other in the 90s. I was living in a little village in Avis. You were in Elgin and you had a beautiful salon, didn't you? I did. And how many years did you have that for? Ten, almost to the day. Oh, really? Um, 1992, I opened it, and then I was 12, and then <laughs> and I sold it in 2002. Yeah. Gosh. So what I want to do then to start this off is to really get you to tell me where you are today and what your life looks like today and, and what you're actually doing, <laughs> and then we'll get the story of how you got to this, this point right now. Okay, so where I am today, I'm in Tala, which is in Paphos, Cyprus. Didn't expect to be here, to be honest. Um, and what I'm doing, well, I've been taking care of my elderly parents, which is probably the hardest job I've ever had to do in my life. Um, and on Saturday, I filmed my body combat instructor training video because wow. I've had an injured knee because body combat does that because it's all twisting and everything. Anyway, I filmed it on Saturday, so I'm really chuffed. Uh, it took me all day yesterday to download it and then submitted it to him, to the guy last night. So hopefully I'll get certified in that. Tomorrow I start teaching spin classes because the owners are leaving town and I've been asked to teach their spin classes. That'll be my third form because I do body pump and now then I did spin and do body combat now. Brilliant. I think that's fantastic. And you, you mentioned when you left Elgin, you went to the US. So looking at where you are today then, what's your journey been like from leaving Elgin in Murray in the northeast of Scotland and travelling to the US? Tell us about that journey. And I also well, want to hear about um, obstacles that you had to overcome to, because, that, you know, it's a big deal leaving Scotland for America, you know. It was, and I didn't really kind of process that at the time to be honest so I got a job in Washington DC I had friends that worked in the embassy and a friend that worked in the theatre so I used to go back and forth all the time and from getting the job I had to sell my business pack up my house rent it out so I was kind of just busy doing all of that until I left on the 1st of November so it was almost 10 years to the day that I'd had my business and I cried all the way to Amsterdam in fact, there was one spare seat and it was next to me, thank goodness. And I was just sobbing. And the stewardess felt so sorry for me because I couldn't control it. It was just like spurting out. And then I would calm down a wee bit and then and then off I'd go again. And, and I called my, my dad when I got to Amsterdam and I said, you know, I could have stayed and being a Colin Henry, I knew I knew the Henrys because they're, they're from Keith, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, or I could go to the States and be a David Beckham. And he said, that's the spirit, you know? Because oh, I was trying to reason in my head, like suddenly I was like, oh my God, I'm not coming back. We even thought about that, mm -hmm. you know? Anyway, I arrived on Friday, started my new job on Monday in a new country, in a new area, driving on the opposite side of the road. And then the obstacles, you know, 
They want you to get a driving license within 10 days, but you need to have a utility bill to bring with you with your address on it. But I was staying with a friend. I didn't have any credit, but you go on holiday and your credit card is like the, the bill sitting on the mat when you come home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no, they, they couldn't, they can't just pull up your credit history from another country. So you've got no credit. Nobody will give you a credit card because you have, you're, you're not, you don't even exist mm-hmm. according to them, you know. And so to find somewhere to stay, if you, I mean, I didn't have a bank account or, but my friend Dean worked in the embassy and he took care of the housing for all the British people coming to stay, like the military people coming to stay, whether it was Florida or wherever they were going to work. So he had this real estate agent and she had this lovely uh, little townhouse, two bedroom, two and a half bath. So she kindly spoke to the landlord and he was prepared to take the risk. He met with me and then I said, look, I've got this job and it pays really well and I get a company car and everything. And, you know, I just am processing, trying to get a bank account, move my money over. And so he took the risk and and he was glad he did because we actually like became quite good friends. And then I had to, I did get the bank account. And then eventually one of the department stores gave me a credit card for a hundred dollar credit. You know, I think now they would actually maybe make you put the money into it first, which might be a better idea to deposit 500 bucks or something. And then they know they've got their money until you build up the credit. But anyway, they gave me one. Of course, then Macy's, everybody was like throwing them at me after that. And I I wasn't interested. But anyway, I worked it out and um, had to go to the social security office. So my friend Dean took me to that and get a social security number. And, you know, just all these. And and so then I got the place, but then I had to furnish it. Mm -hmm. So my mum was visiting, actually, because I bought her um, a ticket for her birthday in December. And I gave it before I left so that she knew that she was coming out so that would help her and we went furniture shopping and kind of furnished this two bed two and a half bath but then I had nobody to stay in for me when the furniture was coming to be delivered so you don't think about all these challenges you know you've yeah. got a new job you're in a new place you know you're trying to be conscientious because you've got to prove yourself it's interesting hearing all this sort of little things like waiting for a delivery of furniture which we would just take for granted you'd get somebody to pop in if you're not going to be there and you would it would just be really natural and easy but when you were going through these little things that were a big thing really in the when you first arrived in a place what was your the internal dialogue like like did you have this kind of this is not going to work. I can't do this. Or were you always very confident that you would succeed? I was never thinking this is never going to work. I think it was just a lot all at once. And I think, honestly, I just ploughed through it and ploughed through it. And like I say, I had a couple of friends there. Thinking back, it was a lot. It was. And also remember I had back issues as well. And I had already been for an MRI just like the day before I left. Because they kept saying, oh, it's your hip, it's your hip. And I kept saying, it's not my hip, it's my back. It was like crushing in my spine. So I went and paid for an MRI and I had degenerative discs. And I think the tension and the stress added to the pain that I was in because it I just felt like, like you know, it was really, my back was really sore. And so, and that started in 2000. And holding down a new job, you know, and, and, and the owners have an expectation and mm-hmm. you're trying to do your best and, yeah, it was it was a so lot. So it sounds like you were never in any doubt that you were going to stay and you were going to succeed, which says a lot about your core essence. Because a lot of people would struggle at the earliest hurdle. They'd be like, "Oh, what have I done? 
I just want to go home, you know, and they would want to just say, look, I'm sorry, I've bitten off more than I can chew and I can't do it. When when I hear this, it sounds like there was always this a determination and also a kind of internal knowledge that you would make this work. Yeah, I think but I've kind of always been like that and, yeah. and focused and feisty and mm-hmm. I throw myself into it. And, you know, it didn't mean that every time I called my mum, I wasn't crying down the phone or my friends, I really missed them. It was just a lot, I think, to process all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, selling a business and that was stressful and packing up a house and, you know, leaving my family and going to a new country, a difficult friend. You know, it it was just all came at one time and yeah. probably never really, not until later on, I kind of thought, wow, that, that was probably quite a lot yeah. <laughs> all at one time, you know? Yeah, exactly. How long were you in Washington, D.C. for then? I stayed there for two years. I had visited for seven, but I stayed there for two years. And then a colleague that I worked with and one, so I was spa director for an English company, a British company. The guy was from England and his wife and his daughter and I was integrating day spas into their existing hair salons. They had about 15, 16 of them at the time. So it was in Maryland, Virginia and Washington, D.C. So kind of around the beltway. And so I was hiring the man. So it's different there. They don't like we train everything from the forehead to the floor. They specifically do hair or they specifically do nails, right. you know, or facials or massage. So they're all individuals. So I had to hire a massage therapist. I had to hire a manicure and got the salon 20th of May and so when we went to meet with existing staff that day my business partner who became my business partner didn't even mention my name she didn't bring me up she said I will make you successful I this I that and I I was still I was still a bit um intimidated I think because I knew I had a really strong accent and it was it was new to them again at that point you know because now I'm out in LA and the people in DC had kind of got used to it um, so I, I thought I'm not going to embarrass myself and I'm not going to humiliate her. I'm just going to like keep quiet. And, you know, I came with the champagne and the glasses and we toasted and all the nibbles and everything, you know. And afterwards, when we came out, I said, I can't believe that you talked about you singular. And this is as much my business as yours. I was really hurt, actually. Mm-hmm. But that day. I had reservations about that business you know it it really bothered me and I, and I kind of got alarm bells and I thought well what do I do what would you do if you were getting married tomorrow my money was being transferred my my furniture was on its way out from from DC you know what was I going to do I had applied for a green card actually because now I wasn't working for that company I then had to transfer because I became an investor then that made it feasible to be able right. to do that so I was kind of in that limbo place that that I thought, well, maybe it'll get better. And it never did. It just never did. Oh, and so four years later, it was just, she was she was really difficult. So we had, she, she came up one day at the desk and said, I don't want to be in business with you anymore. And I said, fine, then get a lawyer. She thought she could throw me out on the pavement with like 40K, but I had invested way more than that. Mm-hmm. We had sold my salon in Elgin and that was like my savings and, and so, and I, and then it was always like good cop, bad cop, you know, like I was always the fluffy one at the desk, yeah. like smiling at everybody and she was always kind of gruff. And so anyway, we had lawyers for about a year and I offered for her to buy me out, she didn't have any money. So we had the, we had signed paperwork and it just so happened 
after Thanksgiving. My friend in Germany was turning 40 and my mum was turning 70, but that had been planned since like August. But the lawyers had gone back and forth and they take forever. And so we signed the paperwork the day before Thanksgiving and I would keep her till the end, till the end of the year so that we didn't inconvenience this, this, the clients over Christmas and it's a really busy time of year. And so anyway, I hired a, a manager to come and I paid her to, through the end of the year and then I would do the payroll while I was at home and took care of everything, did a stock take, everything. And so I got on the plane and I went to Germany and you know that night, I'm really intuitive, right? But that night of Fernando's 40th birthday, we fell out when we came home and I, I don't fall out with people, but there was someone just narking me. There was something like bothering me. And anyway, on the Wednesday, I went, I got my flight and I landed in Aberdeen and I switched on my phone and my phone almost blew up with emails and texts. And so they had packed up their stuff on the Tuesday and opened a new salon in Pasadena and walked out while I was like 9,000 miles away out wow. of the And there's not in, a, in an eight hour time difference, there was nothing I could do to salvage it. But she knew she was going to do that. And she signed that paperwork on the day, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And this was only like a week later. Oh my goodness. So she did obviously plan that, you know, mm -hmm. and Anyway, I was just devastated and I tried calling the lawyer and he sent a cease and desist letter because not only did they walk out, but they called all the clients, oh. but not just theirs, all the clients of the people that were left as well. And it just created confusion and everybody thought that we'd move the salon. And and I was so fragile because dealing with her for a year with lawyers was like really hard yeah. and so and costly. And so anyway, I stayed for my mum's birthday, but it ruined that. I, I stayed until I was planning coming back because I, I needed my family. I needed yeah, strong course. people because I was just like teeter. I was that close. I was kind of on the verge, you know. Mm. So anyway, I flew back. I was sitting in London Heathrow and my mum sent me a text. She said, if anybody can do it, you can do it. We're proud yeah. of you. We know you can do it. So off back I went and I met my lawyer for breakfast the next day and he said, look, I had the same thing happened with a taxi firm in Palm Springs. And he said, my advice to you would be, you have what they want. And he said, I would focus on what you have and make that successful. Mm -hmm. He said, because people like that, if you give them a rope, they'll hang themselves. Yes. So, And also she'd no money to sue her for anyway. So mm -hmm. what was the point? You know, um, so anyway, they had their salon and I, I just I, all Christmas and New Year, I just came in, I painted, I saged the place first. There was dark colours, I put light colours, I brightened the place up. I just got stuck into it and I never shut the door on anybody. I mean, I would see clients they would say, you know, my stylist went with her and I'd say, hey, it's fine. I get it. I, I totally get it. You know, and then they were writing negative Yelp reviews and had to do damage control. It was, just, And then they sent in state board for an inspection. And I thought that was going to finish me off. You know, you can't just leave us alone. It, like, you know, it was it was like taking two steps forward and one step back. I just, you know, the whole time. You know, that hearing that, though, Karen, when, when somebody is a shining light and they're successful and they're determined and they're focused and they're hardworking and they're doing all the things you're doing, Unfortunately, people do want to bring you down. And it's really sad because yeah. you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. We're not like that. We're not made of that stuff. But I actually did shed a little tear when you, and I'm going to do it again. 
when you said about your mom Wilma and the text she sent you, because oh, your mom is a, yeah. such a dear woman, isn't she? And I, she must have been absolutely worried sick about you. She was because I couldn't even walk from my bedroom to the living room without bursting into tears. I was just so fragile. I just had had enough, you know, and I thought, well, if I don't go back and make that work, then what, what am I there for? That, mm. you know, that's where my money is. That's where I've, you know, I've spent the last four years. So I have to go back and make it work. Yeah. You yeah. know, and that's the only chance I have. I have to go and make it work yeah. because I had, during that year, I had saved money and not gone out a lot. And it was kind of, I was doing my own nails and um but I was I was cutting back on things so that because the lawyer was expensive and my mum and dad came out to visit and Stephen and his family came out to visit. Yeah. Anyway, in the in the May time my mum's sister passed away and I came home for that funeral and I came back and the there was another little salon across the street and the lady called and she said it was a Tuesday and she said I feel really embarrassed because I've never met you. But she says, I have a bit of an issue. I wondered if you could help me out. I've had a plumbing issue. Um, could you take some of my stylists? And I said, to, well, how many do you have? She says, I've got seven and an assistant. I said, actually, I can take them all. They started kind of coming over with their colour and all their stuff. And it was just bedlam. It was chaotic. You know, coffee cups and towels were running out of gowns and towels. And so she gave me this check. She's supposed to pay me because they paid her rent and she was supposed to give it to me and she never did. But she did give me a cheque to go and buy coffee or whatever, which was like $60, but I never cashed it. I put it underneath the drawer in the till and got 60 bucks, you know, whatever. They went back over there to have a meeting one day and I loved their energy. There were renters and my salon was commissioned, but I thought, I called my friend and I said, sometimes a river meanders off on a different track and I said I feel like they have the right energy for my salon and they can teach my commission people a thing or two so they went over for a meeting with this their owner and they came back and said we've just quit can we stay here and I was like what and she said we've never had an owner who's as hands-on as you are who does so much for us I'd cleaned out all the lockers I'd given them I went and bought a shed and had, and had them assemble a shed so I could clean the break room out and put stuff outside in the shed so I could give them all a locker because they'd mm-hmm. have their own colour in that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, my business doubled overnight. Wow. I mean, literally, like, overnight. Fantastic. And then, oh, and then, but then their owner, who I'd never met but once because she came not give me that cheque, then sued me for then, for then stealing her people. But in actual fact, they actually quit and asked if I could keep them so then I had to go and hire another lawyer this is America right I thought you might as well just walk down the street and somebody take your bank card and say yeah hey because I never did anything wrong and I didn't do anything wrong anyway it went through um their lawyer had to depose me and so he called one day and asked all these questions and honestly I couldn't answer any of them I said no never met her no did you receive any money I a check for Target shopping for $60. In fact, I still got it because I didn't even cash it. So you didn't get any money from either. And I said, no. I said, I've never even seen them. Don't even know them, right? She was suing her business partner, but she still went ahead with that. But they had to drop me out of the case because it had nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. But anyway, got through that as well. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. And then, and we won Pasadena's Best Salon for like 10 consecutive years. Yeah, Mm. so anyway, um, and then... 
when my staff were all in place and you know it just takes one person to leave and then it upsets the apple cart and and I thought well it's been 10 years I've been there 15 and I thought I think it's time to get out while the going's good and also my mum and dad by this point are in their 80s and they've been in a really bad car accident just before Christmas um like just before Covid actually Oh, no. um, and a car hit them and wrote off their car and they were both like in braces and fractured vertebrae and fractured, my dad had a um, fractured sternum, my mum had a broken wrist. Mm. Oh, it was really bad. Anyway, it was Christmas. I couldn't leave in camps. It was the busiest time of the year. And I thought about it, but I didn't really know how to go about it. So eventually I asked my accountant and he knew somebody in Florida because that's where he moved to and who knew somebody in Pasadena. So I got in touch with her. My salon in Elgin took a week to sell. And actually it sold on Friday the 13th. It's my, my favourite day now. Um, to eight months later. Ooh. Oh my God. And I was hanging on by fingernails. I'm not joking. It, it, everything. They wanted everything. They wanted my American Express. Anyway, eventually um, we came to a deal. And, and in fact, um, in the February... I had contacted the landlord's agents and said, look, I have buyers, but obviously I don't want the staff to know because this is in the DL and we have to keep this quiet, but I just want you to know and I'll give you their their name and number so you guys can meet up and discuss whatever. And then eventually the the owners put the business on the, the property on the market for lease. And one of my staff's clients saw it. And I got an email. I got an email asking if I wanted to lease it. That's how I found out. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And I was on my way to work. And I no. was sitting there crying. I was saying, oh, my God, what have they done? You know, this is almost going to go through. And now they've put it on the market and everybody's going to see it. And, you know, anyway, I had the, they were having a colour class and I had chairs outside. And I had called, I'd said, we'll have a meeting afterwards. And, oh, my gosh, a couple of them were just like so unreasonable would be the word. Oh, so we'll be getting sold like cattle, and I didn't expect that. Anyway, so it went through on April 30th, and I was supposed to work for them for a month and train them, but nobody was speaking to me. So I said, it's more important that they speak to you and that you're here. So I'll come in at weekends, and I'll come at night, and I'll help you do the payroll or whatever. I'll be at the end of the phone if you need anything, but this is not helpful for, for this energy to be in here. You need to make friends with these people. So... And then the following March, COVID lockdown. Ah. Oh, there is a God after all. (laughs) Somebody was looking down on me because Mm -hmm. it's like having a crystal ball, isn't it? No. Wow, well done. I mean, that's amazing. So my my dad is now 85, but um, it must have just been the Saturday before Thanksgiving. He was stuck on the sofa and my mum was in her bed and... Stephen was calling the landline and I spent two hours on FaceTime with him trying to help him and it wasn't making sense and there was something wrong. I, I knew and I kept saying, let me call the neighbour. No, 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 I'll be fine. My mum came down at two in the morning and sat downstairs with him and got an ambulance. He, he was adamant he wasn't going, but anyway, he had viral pneumonia um, and a urine infection, which kind of makes you delirious. Mm-hmm. So Stephen came out and said I think you should come mm-hmm. so I booked a flight for the following Saturday and then he called and said I think you should come sooner than next Saturday oh really so I changed my I called American Airlines crying down the phone saying I need to get a flight now so I had to go to Philly Dublin Stansted Paphos oh. took me two days 
And when I got to Stansted, they wouldn't let me on the flight because they said the gate had closed, but the gate hadn't closed. Mm -hmm. And then I had to find a hotel, get in a bus, stay the night. I only had a carry-on bag with me. Um, And then I got up at three in the morning, had not really slept. I'd had a packet of hula hoops and a bottle of fizzy water. Oh. and then I went back to the airport and my COVID test had expired because I'd been travelling for two oh, days. Oh, no. And the place was now open at four in the morning to be able to get another one. The flight was at six. Oh, God. Anyway, they let me on. They did let me on, but you had to pay to have one done at Paphos Airport anyway. Um, so they let me on and I got here and it was brutal. I was feeding my dad eight teaspoons of soup. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Stephen went home for Christmas and I stayed. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where I was driving. I couldn't buy a, a, a packet of ham because I didn't know how much to ask for because it was kilos and, and we oh, yeah. were we were pounds and ounces, different money. It was raining. My mum was almost losing the plot because we were so stressed because my dad was like wasting away. And anyway, I went and I started grooming him. I was like trimming his eyebrows and shaving him and filing his nails and brushing his teeth and bringing him ice cream and feeding him ice cream. And on the 23rd of December, he got home. Wow. <laughs> well, it was the hospice or that. And I said, if we put him in hospice, he'll never come home again. So he's coming home. And I'm here and it's a lot for my mum, but I said, I'm here and I'll be here till Stephen comes back. But we got him a wee pulley thing for his bed, like to help him in his mm-hmm. bed. And I got a nurse and a physio. So by the time Stephen came back in the, the 5th of January, whenever it was, he was actually managing to get out of his bed. And we, ha- we had a walker for him and he was walking to the bathroom. And, and then Stephen stayed for a month so I could go back to the States and pack up some more stuff. And by the time I came back, my dad was actually in the car at the airport with Stephen when they came to pick me up. And is he mobile now? Is he able to walk? Yeah, I got them back. I got him strong enough to get him back to Elgin in June. That oh, fantastic. Like, it's too hot here in the summer for them. So we walked to the end of the drive and then I'd have him walk up the street. Oh. And then literally I had him walking around the block. Mm. He's driven one time. I, I, I let him drive one time mm. and he managed fine. You know, I've just just picked up the slack and yeah. done everything. And like I say, it's been the hardest job I've ever done in my life. But yeah, of course. But already you're building up this fitness um, life for yourself, teaching classes yeah. and doing all that. So you've arrived and you hit the ground running. And that seems to be a theme with you. And you've told us this story. It's like you just keep going and keep going and keep going. It's amazing. I feel like I hit the ground crawling this time. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I know. Oh, well, that was epic story but good on your dad he's really rallied hasn't he yeah he has I mean he's 85 he's got a bypass well he's my age a bypass he's got stents he's got a pacemaker he's got COPD he won't get any better but he would that is the worst I've ever seen him he was that close I'm not kidding I've never ever seen him as bad as that and I came with you this is how organized I am I had a carry-on bag and I came with few more clothes in my bag and my friend says but honey you can go and buy them I says I hate shopping why would I do it under those circumstances I hate shopping yeah so I just took some stuff with me in the event and my dad would be proud of me because he would say coming prepared that's I would expect nothing less of you to be prepared Mm -hmm. for all scenarios right so hearing your story and all the struggles and all the hurdles I mean you have had more than your fair share of challenges and you've just kept going and kept going and kept going so do you have any words of support for anyone who's hit a wall so to speak you know either through their career or through personal relationships what would you what would you say to somebody who's struggling right now 
always sorts itself out, doesn't it? Really. And you know what? I'm I'm very spiritual, and I I I just look at the universe and say, okay. My friend said I'd made a nice little merry-go-round. I think actually it's a pretty carousel. I like to think of Mary Poppins and our wee horses. But for the people I know that do like drama and create the drama, they're narcissistic types, you know. And and I think I'm not getting on your crash and burn roller coaster because it always crashes and burns. I've made a pretty carousel and it's not been easy, but I've worked at stability and worked on myself so you can either get on the nice carousel and enjoy the ride but I'm not getting on your roller coaster because oh, <laughs> I know how that ends I know how that works that's you a know? fantastic uh, way to look at it I really really like yeah. that and so I just keep focus and good on you you know and I got stem cells for my spine by the way and that oh, you did uh-huh. oh, I got stem cell therapy and I couldn't walk and then now I can walk it's not great. only you walk it, and you're doing all these body pump classes. Oh, I could have done that before. And I look at you though, and I, you and I are the same age, aren't we? And I think, how <laughs> is she looking like that? <laughs> you know, your muscles, you're you're strong, and you're you look fantastic, Karen. Look at that. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and hearing what you have achieved and what you've come through you really are quite something regarding your classes and things like that do you want me to share any social media links with the listeners to follow you and what you're doing would you like to tell us where people can find you you can find me at scott in la on instagram Mm -hmm. and i think on twitter it's scottish karen in la hold on because I think Scott in LA was already taken. How dare they? I know how rude. <laughs> Scott in LA Karen is right. is my Twitter, and Facebook is just Karen Mill. No, that's been brilliant. You've been fab. Thank you so much. Really appreciated you giving us your time, and loved catching up with you. That was amazing. Me too. Well, that was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, epic story. I know. And, you know, there's so many bits to it that really came through for me. Obviously, Karen's tenacity and determination off the scale, but also that she went out there on her own. She met good people. Obviously, she knew Dean, her friend Dean already. He was living out in, in the US. But the first landlord who trusted that he could take her on and, and not worry about all the formalities of that it was just that nice little glimpse into the goodness of people and then it unravels into this thing where people are suing her and really doing awful things behind her back and as she said in her own words I just plowed through it I plowed through it you know and she also had her own health issues with her back at that Mm. stage um and uh, the other thing that was very strong for me in in that chat is the importance of her family like you know her mum and dad her brother Stephen they're a very close unit and very supportive of each other and and you know hearing about her going back and buying her mum a ticket when she first left so that her mum knew she was going to get to see her again in the US yeah that I mean I know I know her mum and I know Karen and I know how close they are and it was very moving hearing her mum you know saying to her if anyone can do it Karen you can Mm. you know when it was all unraveling for her at work and it's a strong message to us all that even when we are 
at the lowest and she couldn't walk from the, I don't know, was it the living room to the kitchen without crying when she was at home in Elgin with her family. So even when we're at that lowest ebb, there is still a way to really get the support you need from loved ones and people you trust. And as she said, plow through it. You will get through the other side. Mm. Very much a, well, I was going to say it's very much a roller coaster, the story, but mm-hmm. um, something that really stuck out to me was her metaphor of a merry-go-round or carousel at the end when she said, I've decided to, you know, be on a merry carousel. Um, you can choose to be on your roller coaster. And I thought that was yeah. a really nice image. Yeah. Um, and it's about sort of choosing, yeah, whether you have that drama in your life. And, and I guess she didn't choose, but she did end up having quite a lot of drama, but she, she chose to kind of move through it and um, yeah, and see it from a different point of view. But yeah, it was interesting hearing the, yeah, like you said, the minutiae of, of what's difficult when you're in a new country, even if it is a country that speaks your language, um, it can be difficult to settle in and get all the little practical bits and um, together. And then, yeah, the humanity of having friends who are going to help her and, and then her family, but also, yeah, this kind of dark side that that cropped up and she just kind of got met with difficult energy, wasn't it? It was kind of stumbling blocks that she came across. But yeah, she just she just plowed through it and she said, you've just got to make it work. And and she was able to. And I think that's that's one of the main messages that I heard from her story. Yeah. And even now, you know, she's left the US, she's in Cyprus. Um, looking after her parents and and still creating a career for herself in all this physical exercise classes and spinning class and body pump. Body pump, yeah. But, you know, it's another career she's setting up for herself in another new country. I mean, I just, I I think I would pull the doobie over my head and say I can't do it. You know, Mm. but Karen has never stopped, you know, being successful at what she chooses to do next, Mm. you know. So... All credit to her. That was a really, I found it very moving. I found it moving as well because we had a big hiatus in our friendship through no fault of hers, I might add. Um, so it was nice to reconnect with her. We reconnected a few years ago, but I kind of feel sadness that I wasn't around when she was going through all that really awful stuff in the States. And we we only kind of reconnected a few years ago. Um, and that is a sadness to me, but I've told her I'm not letting that happen again. <laughs> Because I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't cope with what might have happened in the interim. But that was great. I really enjoyed that. It was very, it, it was not what I expected. Again, you know, what this happens sometimes in these um, interviews, that you think it's going to go one way, and actually, I was holding my breath at times, thinking, what is she going to say next? What's going to happen next? It was really fascinating, upsetting at times, intriguing how she came through it all, and yeah, I have so much respect. Yeah, what a varied and interesting life. And yeah, I mean, I think she's probably achieved enough for all of us. And if she decides to have a pause and relax, then I think she can do that. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah, no, really good. I really enjoyed that too. Me too. Thanks for listening to In Conversation with Kathleen. I really hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy making these episodes. In the hope that someone else benefits from listening to the show, please like, subscribe and share. I look forward to seeing you again next time. Thanks for listening.